these are the times that make your character. You can, you can look at this in from two perspectives. You can look at it and woe is me, or you can look at it and say, where can I find in addition to my business model to adapt to what the future will hold? And that, that's the great thing about entrepreneurs. If you are a really strong entrepreneur, you are pivoting constantly, even when there is no pandemic. If you believe we can change the narrative, if you believe we can change our communities, if you believe we can change the outcomes, then we can change the world. I'm Rob Richardson. Welcome to Disruption Now. All right, welcome to Disruption Now. I'm your host and moderator, Rob Richardson. Uh, with me today is a special guest, Monique Eilert Mosley. Did I say that right? Yes, you did. <laughs> okay, good. I'm glad I did. I, I was practicing and wanted to make sure I said it right. So she's had an expansive career. She's been involved in the entertainment world, was the CEO. Uh, you probably know some of the music from Timberland. She was the CEO of that company for a long time. Helped over 64, uh, went platinum, certified platinum 64 times and certified gold. Not too shabby. And so uh, she's uh, taking that experience now and uh, her experience as being an entrepreneur, her experience in helping others. And she wants to now uh, use all her talent and resources to help minority and, and, and women and uh, women business uh, Rain Ventures Capital, which is what she started, one of the larger venture funds that are focused on people of color and women, about $25 million, and uh, I expect it to grow. She's doing amazing things. She's had uh, folks we've had on this show she's, uh, that she's invested in, Rodney Williams from Listener, uh, Solo Funds, Travis Holloway, people, you know, before they were big, before they were, before they were, before people believed in them, uh, you did. So I want to thank you for the work that you've done and all the things you will do. And thank you for coming on the show. No, thank you. I mean, that's quite the introduction. <laughs> but yes, thank you. Um, it's been it's been an amazing journey. Um, I have no complaints. And it's it, what's so, so amazing about it still is that I, every day I'm still continuing to learn. So that's like the beautiful part of all of this. Yeah, so you are in Miami right now, right? That's where you find yourself. Yeah, so I've been living here for quite some time. And I'll tell you, you know, if we have to be quarantined, I absolutely love being quarantined in beautiful weather. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no complaints, right? You got, no, you got, got the pool out there, I've you been, can be quarantined by it. It's I've not been bad. working on my tan. <laughs> I can tell it looks good. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It's so crazy because I've lived here for so long, yet I never had the time to actually just relax a lot. So usually when I, I'm traveling so much, so when I'm home, I'm usually like doing stuff with the kids or errands. So I never really have a lot of time to just kind of lay by the pool. So I've been doing a lot of that. I've been doing pool workouts, actually. <laughs> pool workouts. Okay. Yes. What, what, what are your pool workouts look like? So I do the resistant bands. Okay. Um, and so I use them in the pool. I do a lot of laps. Um, you can, I do planks outside, you know, just a lot of outdoor workout just because I yeah. don't want to, I work out every day at the gym. So I don't yeah, want to like too. not, yeah, I don't want to not. I was, I was depressed when that happened. I got to tell you, but I saw it coming. I actually bought a home gym. Like my gym is decked out now. I'll never have wow. to go back to the gym. I'm just, cause I just said, they're about to close down the gyms. Like this is right before I said, I just got a sense. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I went and spent, cause I think uh, some money. Cause I, it's, cause to me, psychologically, like if I'm not working out, then I don't feel right. My whole day is off and I feel like I won't be as productive. That's just me. No, so. no, that's, that's how I am as well. Um, I just recently started, you know, being committed to working out every day about six months ago. And literally, if I don't work out, I, 
I feel like something's off with me. So I wanted to make sure that while I'm, you know, while we're at home, that I'm still keeping my health and wellness as a priority. Yeah. So, so take me back. So to when you first (laughs) kind of started as a, as this, 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 well, you're still very young. I'm not saying we're both young. Yeah. So 21. Yeah. I'm I'm 20 something. (laughs) Yeah. You're 20 something, but let's take it back when you were okay. Even when you got your first sales job, Yes. Um, I read up on it and, and, and the person that hired you, I think it was USA Today, said yes. that they didn't think you were qualified for the job, but you did such a good job <laughs> at, you know, at, at being so <laughs> bold. But, you know, take yourself back to that moment. Like, how did you have that so much confidence to say, like, I deserve this job, knowing you really didn't have the experience? Like, how did you walk into that job and just say, this is something that I believe I can do and is meant for me? You know, um, since even when I was a young child, I always had the audacity to ask for things that most people would maybe think about, but not have the courage to ask for. And I always looked at it from a perspective of the worst thing that someone can say to me is no. (laughs) And then when they say no, they usually say why. So then you can flip that. And so um, in high school, I was a part of a business program where for two years we job shadowed we had to do public speaking and it was a national high school organization. And so I learned a lot of leadership skills and a lot of um, getting uncomfortable to get comfortable and to get where we wanted to be in life. And so when I was in college, uh, I worked for the um, director of career services and I always knew I wanted to work for a number one company so that I could then learn the number one ways and be a great entrepreneur. And so when the uh, USA Today opportunity came up, I chose, they gave me different markets that I could move to. And I chose Atlanta because I felt like even though it was a national position, I How did you get the opportunity though? Like how how does one right out 22 say, oh, I apply for this. It was like an executive level position, I think, or something like that. I was actually still at school um, (laughs) when, when I actually did, because you have to remember working in career services one of the things I did was I paid attention to all of the, the corporations that we were doing placement for graduating seniors. And USA Today was always on my list as one of the top companies. And they were a young company at the time. They, you know, they were really disrupting the way people were looking at news and media. And so I thought it'd be really cool. So I was like, why not? And I actually did get hired. I just got hired for a junior level executive right. position. So when I went there and they were interviewing for a very seasoned position where you had to have 20 years experience, right. I was like, oh, I want that job. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need 20 years. You got me. I'm Monique. What are you talking about? Exactly. And so uh, Sean McCarthy, who hired me, she was a female, a very amazing executive. Um, she kind of laughed at it. And then I was like, oh, but I really want the job. And she's like, oh, wait, you're serious. And I said, yeah. (laughs) So she made a deal with me. She said, listen, I can't make that decision by myself. Um, At the time, USA Today was still in Arlington, Virginia. And so I went there and went through a whole week of interviews with all the top executives. And they ended up giving me the job. Wow. There you go. Hey, look, you got got to go shoot your shot. Why not? Why not, right? Listen, you know, The worst that can happen to us in life is that we go after our dreams and we dare to ask for the biggest picture. And then all you can do is go down from the biggest picture. I've never wanted to start at the bottom. I I feel like what's the difference between me and the executive that comes in besides being willing to learn? Do you think people, you think you can teach people? Like I I completely agree with that. Do you think you can teach people that or is that just innate? Like the, the ability just to say, just to be uncomfortable 
can you train yourself to be more uncomfortable or is it something that you think is just naturally in you? What's your thought on that? So I think it's a combination of a lot. I think that um, depending upon our circumstances and where we come from and what environment we grow up in, I think that most people don't recognize that we can have whatever we want in the world. Um, so I think that most people's standards are pretty low based on the circumstances. Uh, for me, I, my mother raised us to never feel like we were our circumstances, to always see the bigger picture. Um, but I do think that there's a balance to all of this. I think that if everyone wanted to be the leader, then how do we have balance? You know, so I think that right. we need balance of different personalities, different career paths. I think that um, there is something that was never taught to me, and that's ambition. Uh, you know, I just had it, the tenacity and the audacity um, and the pursuit of something bigger. I don't know that that's something you can teach people, but I do think that we can give information to people, and that can be a difference for people. Right. Um, okay, so, you, 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 you know, on paper, it seems like you've had this linear path. Um, my guess is it hasn't oh, been linear. Yeah, right. <laughs> <No>. So. <laughs> But everybody sees that. It looks like, you know, people are looking at, you know, Monique, 22, she came in, killed it early, never made any mistakes, CEO of a, of a brand company, of, a, of music entertainment, you know, now is over a multi-million dollar fund, one of the largest. Uh, we need to get it larger. That's another a conversation we need to talk well, about. Well, it's it's I have people. no LPs in my fund right now. So that's right. why it, it stays where it is. Um, no, that's a great size fund because there's not, listen, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not uh, disparaging it. What I'm saying is we need more people like you to yeah. get to that level to be willing to do what you are doing. So I'm not in any way dismissing the amazing things that you're doing because it's amazing. Oh yeah, no, I didn't take it as such. Um, I wish that we, Erica and I, my business partner for the fund, we wish we could have a larger fund. Um, we are very particular about the impact of investing in women and people of color and the restrictions of always wanting it to look like charity, you know, and for LPs who oh, don't understand yes. that, there's speak, a lot speak of adversity. That, you know, I was going to ask another question <laughs> about your younger self, but since you went there, I want to talk to you about a quote you said there uh, that, that I read that about, and I think this applies to not only women, you were talking about women, but I think we can make this apply to people of color, black people, uh, a quote you basically said, and I might get you out of context, but essentially it's what you just said there. You're like, people understand when they're working with women and people of color and black folks that, okay, give to charity. That's easy for people to say like, yeah, we want to help. We want to help them, you know, give them some money. But when it comes to you want to invest in their business, everyone looks at you kind of like, well, what do you mean? Like, it's like, <laughs> it's like, we don't have an understanding of, I think this is, this is a, this is a um, opportunity for improvement. And, you know, you can speak more to women, but I can see, I've seen this with black people too, understanding the nature of working together, understanding what it means to invest in one another, that we're not just looking for, Nothing wrong with charity, by the way. Charity is necessary. I'm not criticizing right. charity. But for us to grow, we have to be willing to invest in one another. Speak to what you see as the challenges there and how we can kind of change our, our mindset there. Because it sounds like you have some experience and stories you can draw from. I can just tell from some of the stuff I've read. <laughs> I mean, I think that, first of all, it was pretty late in my career when the aha moment happened for me um, in realizing kind of how this whole system works, right? Yeah. That's been in existence way before we were even born. 
Um, it was when I was getting my uh, executive MBA and I realized that, wait a second, I was introduced to angel investing. By the way, we're millionaires, we're successful, we have access to everything, we're self-made, yet we don't know anything about angel investing. And so when I learned about that and I started be becoming very active in the angel world, all of the founders were looking alike. And I was like, well, wait a second. I mean, I'm like becoming part of the problem. You mean to tell me there's no women, there's no people of color who are trying to do startup worlds? And so when I saw that that was really a problem, um, it was like, oh wait, this is how boardrooms are made. Your early investors is who makes up your voting board seat. Yep. This is who decides what C-suites get to stay or gets put into place. No wonder we don't have black and brown CEOs and billion dollar companies and boardrooms with us in it because we're not investing early. No, and so yep. it, it, it truly became a real passion for me and purpose driven on we need to fix this, but we have to fix it internally and Amen. we have to stop making people of color and women feel bad for being in the phase of startup world or make um, them go through extra hoops that, that you would, that you wouldn't make others go through. I, let me I've, tell seen you, that, I've seen that yes. play out too. Let me tell you, Rob, um, it was so interesting to me sitting in the rooms with uh, traditional white male investors and the questions that they would ask the people that looked like themselves, meaning a white male only were not the same questions they were asking women and people of color. Um, I've heard, you know, women be asked, well, how many children are you going to have? Well, what, you don't ask men that. And you oh, know, how many have, kids you got? They don't ask that men. There's a lot of men right. running around, but the kids. <laughs> right. And the crazy thing is that I have personally witnessed and experienced a very risky white male with no paperwork, just an idea, leave with a check. I have seen women and people of color come in with a proven financial model, they're just trying to scale now and they don't get the money. Yeah. And that's, and that's, and that tells you, and, and, and so we can't solve all that and we can't always change other people's mindsets. Sometimes we can, but we have to, what um, I was getting at too is changing our own mindset. I'm talking about the, the people that have made it that are women that are people of color. What I've seen from my experience, and I don't have as much experience in your world. I'm just starting to get into this world, but I've seen it play out on the political end, you know, when they, they're like, okay, they, they, you know, people, I'm talking about our people right now, will ask you more questions that have more requirements of you than they, than they will out of other politicians, traditional male, white politicians. I'm like, and not investing in people that you see have, have talent. And you know, these are people that I can speak from my experience that I, that I would know, but I didn't have these same conversations with like, sometimes even my white investor, my white, I wouldn't call them investors, but people that are giving the campaign and stuff like that that have right. known me, like it was less of a conversation. So I think it's also changing our mindset to understand how we have to, as you said, invest in each other before it's proven. If you think right. that person has talent and has the ability and has a good concept, you have to take some risks, right? And then knowing yes. that, you know, we do have the talent just as much as everybody else. We, in fact, I, I would even argue that we have more talent. Like we, if you look at, if you look at a lot of the trends going on right now, like, you know, Babyface versus Teddy Riley, right. you know, bring up bring up your ex, uh, you know Timberland versus Swiss Beats, right? They are right. they are commanding attention. 
-hmm. commanding more attention than they literally broke the internet. Yep, so that is literally. literally right. So you think about it though, and, and, and they're the exception to the rule. They're making money, but that, honestly, they're an exception that reinforces the rule, which is money flows through us, but not to us. We have to figure out how to, how we can make sure we're capitalizing on our value, but we have to recognize our value first. How do you go about when you, when you are talking to other women, uh, people of color who have the ability to help and don't understand. I think a lot of people don't even understand they have this mindset. Cause I think all of us, as like you said, even you at some point were like, Oh, you had your aha moment. I've probably had it too. How do we work day in and day out to make sure that we don't adopt the same mindset we say that we're trying to defeat? Whew. So you, you've asked like the I know I've asked age old question, right? I, I think that first in understanding that we're dealing with hundreds of years of a system that was never put into place to um, progress people of color, right? Um, and so we take all of these op oppressions and oppressive behaviors that have been instilled, especially designed intentionally through communities, right? Even right. based on how highways are separating areas and, you know, gentrification, just all of these things. We have, there's a lot of layers to this. There's a lot of I layers. Don't yeah, and I don't, I don't pretend to know any of them. The only thing I can absolutely do is share my journey, share my story, let people know that it does start with the mindset. It really, absolutely truly does. always is about the mindset. It's the only thing you can control, honestly. Right. So I have always chosen to have a positive mindset. I've always seen the glass half full. I've always trusted my faith. I've always trusted God. And, and I've always known that I'm worthy of anything I want. Um, it would just take hard work and it would take asking and it would take learning. I I'm a constant student of life. I think that in particular for our culture, we have a lot of learning to do. Yeah. I think that in defense of all of those who have made it, that we, we're just getting to a digital age where everyone's understanding how to receive information. And we're, you have to understand, we all, we all came through the same public school system. The history that we learned is inaccurate. Yeah. So, you know, not only are we having to relearn what our true history is and what impact we've honestly had on this entire global economy, that's when you can start understanding your real value. Um, but that's a, this is a process. This is a never ending journey. And we have it a is. lot of work to do. We have a lot of work to do. And the only thing I can do is take responsibility for what I go out here and do and share with people. And I've made it my personal business that we have to empower our community. So um, I want to take you back to your earlier career a little bit and ask you a question I like to ask uh, uh, people like you on the, on the show. So take yourself back to a moment, your, your younger self, it can be at any moment in your life that, you know, you made X decision and you're looking back now and you're like, wow, I had that wrong. What would you tell your younger self now, given the knowledge if you can pull from a situation, uh, would, would, would love to hear it. So in complete transparency, I have made a ton of mistakes. I've never lived in my mistakes, though. Okay. Um, I've always thought of them as lessons. Okay, give me and, one that's come to your mind. Oh, my goodness. Um, okay, so my leadership style. I, I'm a very, like, no-nonsense, go-get-it, no-excuses type of person. I can tell that. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> that's what I like you, about you. 
Right, but when you're responsible for a company and you're responsible for, for additional staff and for per different personalities, you realize very quickly that everyone isn't motivated by the same thing as you. And everyone doesn't, doesn't some people just wanna show up to work. They don't wanna add anything more. They don't wanna do anything less. They just wanna be there. And I know early in my career when I was responsible for a lot of people, I was always pushing, finding their best quality and trying to push them past where they were seeing themselves. And it was one day where one of the staff said to me, Monique, I, this is just all I want to do. I don't want to, you, like, you're, you're seeing me for a bigger picture. That's not what I see for myself. And so I had to really accept that. And I had to really learn how to figure out what each person was individually motivated by, because it's all different. It's um, like having kids. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> right. But you didn't raise them. Right. So no, you don't have your foundation. So now you got to figure it all out. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, even different. Yeah. You're right. And even when I was younger, um, I have, I was just so, even in college, I had the most amazing, I worked amazing jobs, high level jobs. Um, I even in college helped build a startup company that's still in existence to this day. Right. And so I never saw limitations and I was never afraid to put, put myself in a risky situation, not realizing that that's not how everyone is. Absolutely and not. But how about a risky situation that didn't work out though? So give me a situation where, you know, I've had about a failure. <laughs> I can give you a couple. I ran for office twice. I won't say, well, I didn't, I didn't win. So uh, learn something, got better each time. Uh, almost fell. I almost fell at the second and the eighth grade, uh, but started doing better in school. Uh, luckily, I have strong parents, and obviously, I graduated did fine. Uh, so, I, look, I, 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 I'm an open book on my transparency in terms of right. this has been a process, and I continue continually improve. You can think of a, a particular lesson that you, you know, at the moment it seemed like a failure, and what you learned from that, you know, because I think that's. So I think people look at uh, a Monique, right? And, uh, and as I said, it seems like it's a linear process. And I know it's not. Right. And I no. think it's helpful for people to say, wow, she has bled just like me. So can you, the, the moment, if you can think of a moment that whatever stands out first mm -hmm. in your mind, like this was, wow, like I thought it, this was going to happen and it went the opposite direction I thought. But yes, I'll tell out. you, um, I was still an executive at USA Today. And I took my savings, I, like I guess I told you, I've always been an entrepreneur. Even when I was at USA Today, I had started my own side business. Um, you and, were and, right. Yes, yeah. And because I always knew I was gonna be in the music industry. So I was doing things in the music industry, even as an exec at USA Today. And one of the things that I did was I took my savings and used it all with a quote unquote business partner who put no money in, right? Right. And it was such a successful event. But guess what? I got no money. I lost money. And everyone else walked away with putting no money up. And I know they took the money. Right. And so right. I learned at that moment that I wasn't doing anything anymore where I was the only one with skin in the game. And I also learned that I didn't care if they were my mother, my sister, my best friend. Everything for business was going in contract. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. They, hey. um, because I was the one who took the financial risk. And by the way, I was a, a single mom. You know, I had a son in college. And then I was also supporting my two sisters because my father had passed. So I took my cushion 
And I don't regret betting on myself because I think we have to know we have to bet on ourselves. I made the mistake of not understanding the levels of what partnership looked like. Mm. I went in at, I went in very trusting. I went in understanding what my integrity was, not realizing that everyone doesn't carry the same integrity. It doesn't make them a bad business partner, but you do have to legally protect yourself. Yeah. So what advice? So I, I read that you don't invest in businesses that have one founder. So, you know, talk through that question one. And another question on top of that is, it sounds like you have some experience, actually answer this one first and we can get to the founder part. Cause I think this leads into what you just said. Uh, how do you, how do you evaluate who you get into partnerships with? Cause it sounds like from that experience, you, you have some knowledge and you probably had other experiences too. Right. How would you go about advising of- people about how to, how to build, how to build the right team and right partnerships? Okay, so are you speaking from a startup perspective and from Rain Ventures investing or just in my business life period, since I have several things I do? You know what? You can speak from both because I think I think both are I think both are still relevant. If you're gonna be a if you're gonna be a startup and you're gonna build a team, I would imagine the same principles apply to building a business no matter what. Like how do you go about choosing the right partner? What do you evaluate in choosing the right partner for right. you? How do you go about that? I mean it, because I imagine how you view it is how you look at investors who you invest in too. Is that wrong? Right. So, so it's twofold, right? When it comes to the, the comment of me not investing in solo founders, right? It was more to the perspective of an, an individual founder. Because I was a solo founder by myself too. So it's not just right. about an individual founder. It's more about how willing is that founder to understand and know that they need an actual team. And Mm, even if you don't have financing at the time, you need to have an amazing advisory board. If you're not willing to have an advisory board, that means you're not coachable, which means that you're only living through your lens. And I haven't seen any company be able to grow without the effort of a team. So that's what that references is that um, we have had great founders, but they come in knowing everything, needing nothing but money. And we know that that's not true. Um, Even at this level, I still have a personal advisory board. I still have a professional mentorship board that direct me, guide me, give me information. And so when we come across founders who have great ideas, but are unwilling to learn, excuse me, to learn and to grow their team and understand how important, there's no way we know everything. Yeah. If I I don't have a, I don't do, I I don't personally prefer operations. Um, Yes, I have my master's, so I understand the process, but I have to to have a good operations person. Um, I also am, as we, I shared earlier, you know, one of my things that I'm working on is that I'm a very matter of factly person. I don't bring personal business to my professional life. And so I expect that from my staff. That's why I have to have a great HR person because I can't deal with that because I would probably irritate the employees. So there's, so there's a great way for, you know, for at least you're self-aware. I'm listen, I'm very self-aware. I think that's part of the process, right? Is self-reflection and understanding what you're good at, what you're not good at and what you can learn to improve on. And so when it comes to investing in founders, um, automatically, if you're not willing to get an advisory board, if you're not willing to even speak to people, to bet on you, you know, there's, there are qualified people who will 
take some invest, like take some, some skin from your company to build your company with you. If you're not willing to do that, I mean, I tell founders all the time, you want a hundred percent of nothing, or do you want, you know, 60% of something amazing? Um, yeah. And so you, you have to be willing to do that. And when it comes to my personal partnerships, um, and even in the founders, it takes time to get to know them. I, you know, I have to know that you really have your expertise. That takes time of me getting to know you. Um, sure. We don't just meet a founder one day and just invest in them. You know, when, I, when we invested in Rodney, yes, by the time Solo came around, that was a no-brainer. We knew his work ethic. He had, you know, he put us in contact with Travis over a period of time. So these are second-time founder. That's a no-brainer. But when it comes to first-time founders, you have to have a great team. And it's yeah, not absolutely. always about, we understand you don't have the financing, right? Everyone doesn't have access to, that's part of the reason why we started an early a seed stage thing, you know? We are in, we're, we get in at the riskiest stage. So we're betting on the people. Yeah. Right? And what do you look at in your, t yeah, that, that makes sense. Uh, two, a couple points and I have another question. You know, something, something I look for in, in, in leaders is the ability to take feedback and take criticism and, and, and really be able to be, like I said, the best advisors you can have is someone that uh, are people that can wound you with the truth. Like they'll be able to right. wound you, not in trying to hurt you, but wound you to say, listen, this is how you need to improve. And then you being willing to accept that. And it is easier said than done for very successful leaders. So um, I think that's very important. My question to you is, let's say you get the team together or you get a set of founders. How do you evaluate if the team is actually well-suited or working together? Like, what do you look for? What do you look at as you evaluate that? So as a fund, we, we still follow all the same guidelines. I mean, there's still due diligence. That, the due diligence is no different than any other major fund. Beyond due but, diligence, I'm assuming <laughs> that. I'm saying right. other things like what characteristics, things you look for. I, so I, 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 yeah, so Erica like and that. I look for two completely different things, and that's why our partnership works so well. She's more of the numbers person. She's more. I met the, Erica. I can tell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love her, you know, but I can tell she's is, very much. Her, she, yes. Right. She's in that numbers box. This is what she's done. This has been her entire. You and I have similar personalities. I'm the same. I have to have an Erica in my life because I don't like that stuff. I mean, it's necessary, but it's not my Right. <laughs> me too. <laughs> so um, for me personally, I look at the market opportunity. I look at the, the quality of the team, meaning what is their social media like? And people think that's so like, what? That tells a lot about a person. When you go onto someone's social media page and I'm not saying that that is like the end all to be all, but if I'm seeing you partying every night, I'm not investing in you. Yep. There's like, because I don't know what your discipline is like. So we, we start with, you know, the social media side. We also go with them to a lot of places and see what their personality is. How do they talk to people? What are their, you know, what are their meetings like? Are they on time? Are they early? Are they late? We truly look at finding someone with the it factor. And if we put up the bumper system for them, can they be successful through the bumper system? And it's a lot about character. Yeah. Because we, at that stage, we are investing in the people. So can you think of a, a time, uh, you know, we don't need to, obviously we're not going to reveal names, but just, you can just do the fact patterns of, somebody who met you and got it completely wrong <laughs> and, you know, maybe had the potential, but they, they found a way to uh, not make the, you know, not make the most of their opportunities. Can you think of a story there? And then someone yes. that initially 
you thought maybe probably wasn't going to have a shot, but then when you met them, you, you believed in them. Um, so t for the first one, uh, yes, there was a young lady that a lot of people were speaking highly of. Um, she is a solo founder to this day. And um, I really loved what she was doing. But in our first meeting, the whole meeting, she was telling me. And so I finally just interjected and I said, we're an hour and a half into the meeting and I literally have no idea why I'm there at this point um, right. because you're a founder looking for an investment, but you're telling me everything that needs to be done and you haven't asked me anything. Um, you haven't asked me about how we invest, what we do, um, why would we invest in you, you know, all of these things. And literally anytime after that point, I made a suggestion and she would tell me I was wrong. And wow. so, yes. And so um, it, it just was a, it was unfortunate because so often we do see this and I get it though, right? We've been put in positions, especially as black females to have to have this hard, tough exterior yeah. and this idea of perfection. But the reality is that there is no perfection and we're gonna make mistakes. I still make mistakes to this day, you know, and we have to, once we embrace that, then you're, then you can, then we can work together because the reality is that none of us know everything. Um, so that's one example of that. And I actually thought early on before I met her that I would invest in her, but I ended up not. Wow. Um, and I'm, I'm actually glad I made that decision. Uh, but, uh, and then someone that I didn't think, um, hmm. no, I haven't, you know, I haven't, even when I've met a company that isn't prepared for financial investment, right. what Erica, what Erica and I have done, because we both believe in this is we still support them. We'll fly them to the offices here in Miami, let them work out of it for a week. We will, um, my team will come in and redesign their, their, uh, their proposals, anything. So it's never that I don't believe in someone. I believe in giving them information that can help make them better. Right. Well, this is a, obviously a, a uncertain environment, pretty scary time. Yeah. <clears throat> um, you know, the world looks way different than we thought it five weeks ago. It's just, you know, the world is just completely different. And um, uh, you and I are in pretty fortunate positions. I mean, I can say that I had deals that were uh, in the making and didn't happen, but will likely happen sometime in the future. But that's so I didn't lose money. I just lost out on potential current money coming in. Right. But m other people are in much different positions. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, you think about entrepreneurs that were doing everything right. And the economy just shuts down, literally. Right. <clears throat> what advice are you giving entrepreneurs in these kind of uncertain times about how they should go about approaching things? I think the first thing that I've been doing is checking on the mental wellness of especially the founders that we have invested in. Um, but one of the things that I have told founders, whether we've invested in them or not, is that these are the times that make your character. You can, you can look at this in from two perspectives. You can look at it and woe is me, or you can look at it and say, where can I find in addition to my business model to adapt to what the future will hold? And that, that's the great thing about entrepreneurs. If you are a really strong entrepreneur, you are pivoting constantly even when there is no pandemic, because you always have to be five, 10, 15 years out when you're thinking yeah. of the bigger picture and the bigger vision. I encourage all founders to take a step back and, and see 
what real solutions can come out of this major problem. Yeah, I mean, some of the, a, a lot of businesses started during the last recession. Um, as we spoke about offline, uh, look, if you weren't digitally prepared, you're, you're behind, but you can yeah. get digitally prepared right now. And you, you, you would be surprised the opportunities that are available now that weren't available pre-corona, right? So there's gonna right. be, as you talk about a new normal, and how can you prepare for that normal? You know, we're going to have the, the Disruption Now Summit. It was going to be the first one in Cincinnati. We we're going to do this event and it was going to be in person. I had all these interactions, but, you know, we figured out we're going to figure out a way to do it virtually. And that's just the world we're going to operate in. Um, but I think this current uh, pandemic is we're going to get past it. But I, I believe it's going to exacerbate trends that were already happening. Automation was already happening, right? Yeah. So, so con content was already, right? being pushed upon us in different ways, whether you're on Hulu, Roku, or whatever it's, all of these things, right? So content and digital has been in the making for years now. Yeah. Like, and if you weren't adapting to having technology be the main focus of your company, you were going to be in trouble anyways. Um, yeah. I, I think that, you know, for me personally, I've taken the last five weeks to do a lot of reading, um, take online classes that are free, you know. Uh, what, what are some books you've read and some opportunities you look in this, in this quarantine moment while you're there? What are, what are some good things we can learn from? <laughs> right now, I'm actually reading uh, The New Negro, okay. the story of Alan Locke. Um, I think that one of the things that I've been trying to do is get back to understanding our history from the true perspective. Yeah. So, um, like, I had never watched Hidden Color. Um, and so I think that came out like in 2012 or something. So I finally got to watch that. And in that they referenced the book called The Lost uh, Treasure of King Juba, which is about the proof of how Africans actually hit North America first. Yeah. Um, and so I've been trying to do a lot of historical perspectives because I think when we understand our history, we understand ourselves and our power and truly the amazing culture that we really are. Um, I just finished watching a great documentary called The Family, and it just, it's all about, it's on Netflix, it's all about um, church and state. Yeah. And truly, <laughs> the history from a global perspective of how church has always been involved in politics. Oh, and influencing yeah. It and pushing it. Um, I, I think that people should watch these things and truly start learning. Even if you don't have, you don't, I don't always believe everything or accept everything. I think that there are some historical things that we just can't get away from though, um, yeah. which helps explain our cycles and, and where we're going and what we need to do as a culture and also just the love for ourselves. Um, yeah. so, so this has been, I took a class, um, I'm taking a class on edx.org. Uh, you know, on, on history right now, just so we can have a better understanding of things. And this is the time we're supposed to be feeding ourselves. This is not, you know, I get, I get bored texts all the time. People are texting me. I'm so bored. And I'm like, listen, have, a, <coughs> have, have your moment, right? Cause we all have the right, moment right. of like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm still in this house. But the reality is that when do we ever get afforded a reset button? Exactly. And if you're fortunate enough where you can say you're bored, that means other things are taken care of. There are some people that are not bored that right. uh, they can barely take care of the bills. We want to acknowledge that. But for people that are have the ability and have more time on their hands, uh, I've seen I've seen extremes, Monique. It's been like no in between. It's people will say I am bored 
or I've been busier than I've ever been. And like, mm. and I think that's a choice because you're in this moment, yes. people are, that, right? How you approach the moment, as you said, it's the mindset of this it's moment. It's the mindset. It's, it's it, who we are in quarantine is absolutely who we are in real life. Yeah. Right. I think that people have gotten so caught up with this Instagram and these filters and these TikToks. I'm like, oh, that's fake world. I tell people every, every, every time I see Instagram, your social media world is your fake world. That's your pretend world for most yeah, people. Yeah, people, people are like sending me these challenges and stuff. And I, you know, my thing is that we still have an accountability and a responsibility for what we're putting out into the world yeah. and what we're receiving from the world. If you are spending hours making TikToks and scrolling on Instagram and taking a picture and putting a million filters on it for two hours, that says a lot about who you are and what's important to you and no judgment but we can't then complain that we're not where we want to be in life. Yep. You, don't tell me who, don't tell me who you are. Show me what life. you do. Right. We're, we own our time. Yeah. No one else owns our time or our day. And we can choose to be productive or feel sorry for ourselves. I have always chosen to look at the bigger picture. And even when times are hard and it doesn't feel good, I've always chosen to push myself uncomfortably so I can get comfortable. Yeah, I mean, you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. You're right. And it's not easy. Listen, this mm -mm. is Look, none the, of this the, br is the brain is like, to go to that point, the brain is wired to make you not want to do what's uncomfortable. Literally, there's a guard in your brain built up to prevent you from doing things that are uncomfortable. And if you've never developed that muscle, uh, putting yourself in uncomfortable situations, it becomes harder to do. Obviously, once you do it and you say, oh, that was painful at first, but I got past it, you can do it. Right. But if you don't, it's always built. In, I mean, it's natural. It's a habit built into your brain and right. you have to literally break down the pattern and do it. So it's, mm -hmm. but people have trouble doing it. What do you think you've talked about the, um, this moment of crisis shows reveals your character. Uh, I also think it, it, it exposes institutional weaknesses within our society. And I'm right now I'm talking about America. Yeah. What, what concerns you the most about what you've seen in the current environment and uh, you know, and just give me your opinion there. I mean, I'll tell what, you, what concerns the, you the, same, most? the same thing that has been concerning me since I have kind of been aware and more conscious. I mean, I did grow up in a house where, you know, my mother was always getting arrested when she was growing up as the white woman who was marching with the black people. Um, so I grew up in a household where my mother raised us as black women only and knowing our accountability to the entire culture. I mean, I remember when I worked for USA Today and I would have to travel or work on Martin Luther King Day, my mother would go ballistic, right? Um, so I've always been aware of the problems that we have internally in our culture and what we're not standing up for. And so to see what's happening right now, to see that, to see on some of these, like to read the news and see these Instagram stories where strippers are you know doing horrific things for cash apps and the fact that our culture because i'm talking about our culture right now right the fact that even at a the scariest time where we are we black people are dying crazy right now yeah with this coronavirus at at an alarming number okay underserved communities are being impacted and affected and the fact that people are choosing in our culture to use their time for entertainment purposes that don't progress us further at all, it hurts my heart. You know, it's no judgment, 
but yeah. we have to do better. We have to start doing better. To see a million people want to come into an entertainment landscape, but when you have informative information of how we can progress and move forward as a culture, we're fighting for a hundred or a thousand people yeah, to come believe listen. Me, I know it's it's what I do. <laughs> I get it. it. It's heartbreaking to me because before we could actually say maybe we don't have access to the information, but we aren't. We are in a technology age where access globally to any information that we want. Yeah. And, and yes, in the underserved communities, they have smartphones. And so we have to figure out for our culture, how we can start being more responsible for our culture. Yeah. No system that was put into place, not for us, hundreds of years later, it's never been for us. Why do we keep expecting that this system to eventually one moment be like, okay, we're coming to save you now. No, no, no Captain America's not, not coming to save you. That's not happening. The Hulk's not coming. There are no su superheroes for the comic books. Got to save yourselves. It's not happening. No. And to, to read reports of murders still happening in Chicago during a quarantine, it's yeah. like, where, where is our empathy? What happened to our culture? You know, I remember growing up in, I grew up in North Jersey, you know, close to the city, lots of culture, lots of life. But I remember being at both sides of my grandparents' houses and strangers being there to eat food or, you know, just a whole community. You, you felt like people felt they needed to support you too, no matter what it was. They didn't have to know you. Where, where, when is that coming back? Well, we got to each do our part. Well, how are you, how are you talking to your kids through this process? You have, you have a, yeah, I think you have, you have some, you have two boys. Can't so remember. I have two boys and a girl, but my yeah. oldest, you know, he, he lives in LA, but he is here during the quarantine. Okay. But um, Demetri how, how, how are they doing as uh, through this and how are you advising them? So I, we're still running on a, on a calendar schedule as if they were leaving. So they still get up early in the morning, eat breakfast, then they're doing their virtual schooling. Then after that, they still do their virtual tutoring as if, you know, cause the tutor would come with them every day for an hour. Right. Um, Frankie's still, he's a basketball player. So he's still training. Uh, we're cooking together more. We're, I'm, I'm forcing them cook? to. Oh yeah. Well. All right. You said, yeah. <laughs> okay. Clay, I'm a good oh, cook yes. too. Okay. That's good. Yes. You were, you were quick with that. Cook. Yes. <laughs> um, so, you know, we're, I'm talking them through all the, I've never been one to shy around the truth with my children. Right. Um, so I think that when you give children truth, then they can work from there. When you hide things from them, they won't know. Right. Yeah. And I think that one of the worst things for me was not knowing information all the way. Sure. So we're, we've been talking from a political perspective. We've been talking about why this, why November is so important and why our votes really still do matter. Absolutely. And we've been talking about a lot of local stuff because since you know this administration is giving you know the governors more power right now, I've been we've been having conversations on how the mayors and the governors are disagreeing. And look, whoever you're putting in office is making decisions on your your health yep. and your safety, right? Yep. Um, and so look, and, and the administration, yeah. So we've been talking a lot of politics. And a lot of um, faith and a lot of just how are you, you know, how are you feeling today? Like, what are you, what are you afraid of? What are you thinking about? You know, because my son is a, is a junior. Like a lot of his friends don't get to graduate. Yeah, They're I mean, I can't imagine. And, mm -hmm. They don't have the same experience you and I took for granted, frankly. I mean, yes. so, and we, you, you have to allow our kids and particularly our black 
young men to be vulnerable because they're not allowed to be vulnerable in most environments. And like so. yesterday, um, so we, I have a foundation always believing and we have a partnership with uh, boys and girls clubs. And so we have a community garden that we put in there. And so yesterday, um, even though the clubs are closed down, uh, my sister um, and my daughter went and did the garden for over three hours. And awesome. yeah, Rain was like, oh my goodness, but we've also planted stuff during this quarantine at my house. Um, you know, I believe in being sustainable and, you know, growing some fruits and vegetables just in case. And so we've been doing a lot of planting, even though I grow yeah. stuff already, I've made them be a part of the process now so that they That's can awesome. understand how important it is to know how to grow food. Amen. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, hey. hey, look, that's a good idea. Um, we're getting towards the end. I want to get, uh, I want to ask you a couple of rapid fire questions. But before yeah. I go there, one more question about the quarantine. Do you have any funny stories that have happened during the quarantine or things that you could, uh, that you could share that's happened? And if you don't, I have another question for you on the quarantine. Funny. Yeah. Funny things on quarantine. Um, Besides my dog jumping in the pool every single day, <laughs> getting on my nerves. Like, I think my dog is getting on my nerves more than anything else is that she's just, she, she's like so excited because we're not always usually home. Yeah, all you're here day all the time. They're like, her. this is great. So she is, so yes, you know what? The, yeah, you know, dogs are not supposed to have chocolate. So I had bought this like dark chocolate bar and put, I put it up high. I have no idea to this day how she got it. It was not even open. She ate the entire chocolate bar. So we were wondering, like, is she about to die? Because <laughs> <laughs> you ain't going to the vet. You got to be careful. No. Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> got to hold on. But, I, you know, the, the, the fun thing that I've been doing, it's not funny, but the fun thing is that, you know, as a single woman, um, I'm always so busy. So you don't really know how single you actually are <laughs> until sitting at home for five weeks. But I've been doing a lot of cool, like uh, virtual dating stuff, like reading books together, um, working out together. So it's, it's uh, you working me... out with the dates on the on Instagram. Yes. <laughs> no, not on Instagram. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, my bad. What, what, what is the yeah. virtual date site? I don't just know. Just like FaceTime. Are. Just like, you know, just FaceTime. Okay. People I know, of course. I'm just saying that where most of the time, you know, you're in a person's face. And right. it can become about so many different things. But when you're forced to build a friendship, right, you get to really see who should be in your life and who shouldn't. Mm, yeah. It's a way of uh, narrowing the choices. Narrow. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> there you go. Um, <laughs> all right. A uh, couple of questions. If you had a committee living or dead of three to advise you on life or business, who would those three be and why? Mm, okay. Um, Maya Angelou. Okay. I, her wisdom and her experience and her world travel and her being one of the ones early on to go to Africa and live there and truly experience how amazing we are as a people. Like to me, that wisdom that she had is unbelievable. Um, Nelson Mandela, okay. his, his discipline, because to me, part of our process is how disciplined are we willing to be? Right. Because that that really makes the difference. His discipline and his leadership and his his ability to care more about humanity than himself. Um, as, he was selfless. I mean, who wouldn't want to be like that? Um, and now he's passed on my father. Uh, if I could have him on my committee now, I would. You know, I lost him when I was 21 in college at such a vulnerable mm -hmm. age for 
a young woman, um, I would have him definitely on my committee to still, it, I think the, a lot of things that I went through from a personal relationship experience, I know I wouldn't have went through had my father been around. No, it makes sense. Yeah. Um, what's an important truth <laughs> you hold that few people agree with you on? You know, what's interesting is that a few years ago I was speaking and I made this quote and I said, um, I know our ancestors had to do this. And at the time that was absolutely what they had to do, but it's a different time in life now. And we no longer have to force our seats at the table. We can create our own tables. And surprisingly enough, people were actually offended by that saying, mm. no, we have to be at a table. And then last year, Tyler Perry said it and the world embraced it. So I was really happy about that because at the time that I said it, I actually got into a lot of arguments with people, especially who were civil rights activists, because they felt like I was downplaying what our ancestors did. But the reality was, is that I was trying to transfer an understanding of power. Yeah. Right. Because Alice Walker told us that the worst thing we can do is, is pretend like we have no power. Right. Yep. And I wanted us to understand that we are powerful and that guess what? We can create our own tables and who believes in it can come sit with us. But the, my timing for it wasn't Preach. received very well. But I, I, I to this day, I, at the time I said it, I meant it. And I still believe in that. Um, it doesn't mean to not have a diverse and inclusive table. We have to. But we can be the examples of that. Well, you can be the examples that we can build the building where we, we invite who, to, who comes in the table. Because exactly. Here's, here's the thing. As long as we're depending on being at somebody else's table, there's only going to be one or two seats because that's all they're going to give. And, and traditionally, it's been one. Okay? Yeah, it's been one. Oh, you, you, yeah. <laughs> I, and by the way, I was that check mark too in corporate America, right? Yeah. All I of us have been at that, some point the check mark. The goal is to, not, is to not be just a check mark. That's right. And, you know, so for me, I, I truly believe in that. I, I feel that we have so much power. We don't know our power and we keep using our power wrong. So yeah. we, ne we need to get our tables together because we, we, there's no reason for us to still be in these horrific situations. Agreed. Um, two final questions. One, um, if you had a billboard or a Google ad that, that, that symbolized your saying, what would that say and why? It would say, um, no means it's on. No means it's on, which you've already explained why that is. You don't accept no. You, you I do not. I never have. Even as a child, I never have. And in fact, my mother, a couple of years ago, she, I'm the oldest, right? And so she, she said, you know, Monique, I wish I would have understood at that time that it you I because I was curious about everything and I questioned everything. You had to explain to me why something made sense because um, I wasn't just going to believe something just because you said so. Right. And my mother took it as kind of disrespectful, not realizing that it was my real personality. I needed to have real information and I needed to understand why we needed to do certain things. And that's what's been, I've been able to use my voice because of that, because I have questioned everything and it's yeah. okay to be curious. Yeah. It's okay to question. And a lot of people aren't mm -hmm. used to women, black women questioning and being comfortable and not backing down and doing it. And, uh, and yeah, so it's a mess. It's a mess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, just keep it up. Keep it up. We need you. Final question for you. 
in this moment of uh, Corona craziness, what gives you hope for the future? Ooh, humanity. I think that right now we are seeing people, no matter what political party they sit in, understanding that humanity is the only thing that progresses us forward. So I think that is even in a horrific time as such, to see that there's no color boundaries right now, that when if someone's hungry, people are gonna try to feed them, to see the hospital and the first responders being so vulnerable and, and, and humans trying to protect them. For me, that, that shows the sign that, you know what? Maybe we're not so bad after all. And maybe we just needed a reminder of that we all rely on each other and that everything each of us does impacts everyone else. Amen, Monique Island Mosley. Thank you for coming on. Look forward to having thank you on some you. more. Thank you for all you do.